So I told this story in the first podcast. The way I encountered Welbeck was super random. It was two summers ago. I was uh, in Brooklyn subletting a spot, and I was doing a bunch of like bike deliveries and uh, just kind of out and about in the humid summer. And um, somebody randomly at a bar, this dude randomly at a bar saw what I was reading something at the bar. What was I reading? I was reading some female author, I remember, because he was, like, kind of, like, commenting on... He was, like, an older dude. It's totally anecdotally. Um, he was, like, kind of jokingly hitting on me. Um, I don't know why this is relevant. It probably isn't relevant. I'm making myself sound suspect by even bringing it up. But anyway, he was, like, he was, like, all impressed that I was reading... It kind of is relevant because he was all impressed that I was reading this. Like, who was it? It must it could have been like Maggie Nelson or something like that. And he was like, "Oh, you're reading like us? That's no, it wasn't. It wasn't. I don't remember now. Um, it's gonna bother me. Whatever. But um, and then he was like, you know, what you should read is the possibility. He's like, write this down. The possibility of an island by Michelle Welbeck. I never heard of him. I knew nothing about it. I guess the reason why it's relevant is because." After reading, I went into it completely blind, and then after reading him and kind of just being a little bit floored right off the bat for reasons I'll get into it in a second, um, it was only then that I kind of learned like his kind of controversial status, um, whether people have critiqued his works as being kind of like misogynistic. I don't know if I've actually read that people say they're misogynistic, but he's definitely. I mean, he's a satirist, so he kind of provides kind of a bleak um, view of, like, gender differences, and then most explicitly with his most recent book submission, um, he was, I think he actually got even put on trial for, like, quote-unquote inciting racial hatred, because the idea of that book is um, um, looking at what, what France would look like politically if Islamist extremists... Uh, led a political campaign and ended up winning, and what the what the what the changes to the culture um, what would look like tangibly if that happened. And obviously, it's a novel, so and it's it's a kind of a satire. So it's not anyway. So that so I didn't. So I guess that's why it was kind of interesting. Just the dynamics of that dude who was. Um, the way he recommended me, it was just it was just super random. But that did influence how I went in, where I didn't have any any um, kind of ideas about it going in. Um, but anyway, so I I, I, I have this feeling with this books like right off the bat, um, there's an element where he he kind of uh, I guess okay. So I guess let me look at my notes real quick. I gotta orient myself. Um, Okay, on the most crude basis, why his work was fascinating to me initially was I think over the, and why it might be, um, I want to speak about it in a way where obviously you read the book, it's interesting, and then if you haven't read the book, I can still talk about it in a way that could be interesting um, regardless. So, um, something that I've been dealing with, and I think it's kind of been like a cultural conversation, is like this idea of like, um, gender differences or um, yeah let's just keep it that simple like I think there's like a um, or even just a question like masculinity like how do you uh, if you're like a you know uh, straight straight male or whatever uh uh, yeah, tr- whatever. Yeah, you're just a male person. Um, not to get, I don't want to get into identity politics stuff too much, but like, you know, how do you act like ethically? I guess just me asking that question shows already the type of headspace that can get problematic. Um, and some, so then, and I think, you know what it is? I think it's, it's even just talking about things in differences, like with my peer group and whatnot can already be kind of finger-pointed as problematic. Like, oh, you can't say that, you can't say that, you know? And I don't know. I think it's like, I think I've, I guess, maybe to some degree, I felt like over the past couple years, I've sort of, or, you know, the past, everything is pretty much oriented around, like, since the Trump election, I guess. So, so, 
since that time, um, most explicitly, I felt a sense of like, sort of not really, sort of feeling debilitated in like how to act and kind of overthinking all my processes and trying to like, you know, it's like the whole navi out, out, out navigating the, the wokeness challenge, the perennial wokeness challenge of, of whatever my peer group, you know, mid twenties, um, living in a city post post college, trying to you know navigate the world and all the shit that's going on with sexual assault and whatnot, and just how yeah how to act um, in, in in a way that isn't either completely suppressing all elements of um, you know just virtue of signaling your way through everything and. Um, on the one hand, or sort of going into some kind of like men's rights uh, type shit on the other hand. So trying to like navigate the middle of that. So, so, so when I first started reading Welbeck, like possibility of an island is kind of like there's an element of uh, like, and he's like, he's kind of a nihilist, you know? So it's like, um, you know, I don't want to get too much down this route, but he definitely is, is like, n not not scared. He just will say some wild shit about, like, this is how men look at sex and, and whatnot, and this is how women look at, like, love. and Because um, this whole thing is kind of like... There's a religious impulse that has driven Western culture, or just, like, yeah, modern culture. And that died at a certain point in the, after the World Wars. Um, so then after that, then there was like, what replaced it was kind of this idea of family and like romantic love. Romantic love was a thing. But then as we go more and more towards the telos of what Western culture is, which is a drive towards individualism um, via rationality and, and technology, it only makes sense that um, traditional nuclear families, um, and, uh, um, you know, marriage and, uh, uh, sex procreation will also go up, go by the wayside. And then what comes in, in place of that is kind of the question he's going at. So there's often a sci-fi element of kind of new, you know, new, um, version of humans that don't have those, those, the, the need for, um, Pro, you know, to, to procreate anymore, you know, so, so basically that, that was the, the initial element, so it was kind of like, here's someone who's saying these really, really wild things, there's, a, there's, a, and, and, and his writing can get like pornographic at times, and you're kind of just like, whoa, like this guy has a, a point of view, and even if a lot of the time, like I'll go in for a little bit, and I'll kind of be like, oh, I kind of agree with those ideas, and then I'll start to feel a little bit like, out of touch with the world, and I feel like it's drawing me in like a bad direction. So I won't necessarily agree with it. So it's kind of like this, this thing where I'll read him and I'll go in really hard, and then I'll kind of feel like I'll kind of question a lot of it and go away from it. But at the end of the day, I keep coming back, and I think I think so. It speaks to a bigger thing of like dealing with this, trying to the the pitfalls of over navigating, trying to outthink like what your masculinity is or or how it could be problematic. You know, just this whole kind of mind game that really just leaves you debilitated because um, you're kind of, you know, there's there's too much shame and guilt and over-questioning. You're not really able to act freely and that affects, that kind of constricts your, your mode. Um, or, you know, and then often can times can be not helpful to other people also. So that's kind of this idea that I've had. I've sort of been critiquing myself and looking at why I've... I'm not like that's the answer to just, you know, go back to some kind of primal mode. But that's, that's an idea that I've suspected might um, have some truth to it. Like, for example, there's an idea that... I remember listening to a Maggie Nelson podcast a couple months ago. And... She was talking about why she doesn't have Twitter and why she just, she, she felt like there's an element of Twitter that's antithetical to what she views as the, um, kind of like the essence of writing, um, which for her is always, 
Um, it's a very like Deleuzian kind of postmodern idea. It's like you're always trying to evade the the declarative. You're always trying to evade the uh, making a statement that's like a really concrete meaning because that's tied to like um, whatever patriarchal. Uh, you know that's that's the that's the old the old mansplain or something. I mean, not to and not to um, undercut it because when I heard that I was like yes, and that totally validated a, a thing I, I noticed about myself where I have difficulty um, or I look at my old writing and stuff and I always I'm trying to do that or even like you know like DFW Dave Foster Wallace would do that where he like he have these long pieces and he's like kind of const- constantly meandering around the point and I've actually heard friends say I remember someone had a, that critique about him like in the height of like my um, in the height of like my Dave Foster Wallace idolatry and I remember hearing someone say that like yeah you know like he never really gets to the point like I just want to hear what you know and I remember thinking that was interesting so so I so like with Maggie Nelson when she said that I was first I was like because obviously Twitter you only have a limited amount of um, you know, characters, so you have to kind of make a declarative, and that's why there's a lot of people, you know, and I understand her point too, it's like, you know, our meaning shifts over time, so it's like, and, and what the type of dialogue it'll breed is sort of like a shallow back and forths and whatnot. But then I was also thinking, but then, but then as I thought about it more, like, I think there's also something, there's value to making the really strong declaratives and the clear declaratives about how one, what one thinks or feels at a given point in time, because then you're 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 creating like a really solid, like a solid state. Like sometimes when I go through my Twitter feed, I sometimes like when like people will just say something really blatant, and like you know it could be wrong, and you could look at it the next day. You're like, oh, I don't even agree with that anymore. But then. Um, but there's a risk to that because people would be like, oh, I totally disagree with that. But then they have some kind of foundation off of which you can decide what you think. Um, if that makes any sense. I don't know. So I guess, I guess with, to get back to Welbeck, I think, and just kind of why. So I, I read through the, the, the three books, um, possibly the island map and the territory and submission last year. And then I kind of like, what made me come back into this one was I remember, um, I remember reading on his Wikipedia that, cause, he, cause I'm like, yeah, cause I'm trying to understand. He, he's got super out there views. He has a super bleak idea about the ability of people to, um, be able to gain satisfaction from becoming parents. You know, like he's definitely, he's definitely like bummed in a way, or I get the sense, or maybe it's me projecting, but I get the sense that he's bummed about the death of like, the traditional uh, family, or traditional, yeah, idea of the traditional nuclear family, and the fact that, you know, with the rise of contraception, and, and, and uh, I guess, feminism in a lot of ways, this could sound problematic, but all I mean, all I mean is that, um, the point, yeah, the point is, like, we don't, we don't, we don't need, we don't have, yeah, we don't need to, to have traditional gender roles anymore, um, and we don't need to, uh, make more children for the survival of our, you know, group. We have a military that is bigger, as in America, you know, in the West, that's, or the, or the U.S. has military that's bigger than all the rest of the militaries in the in the world combined and they serve as defense for the whole western world so the the prospect of invasion and uh is not a, is not a factor anymore it's the biggest you know highest uh quality of life and affluence in 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 all of human history so 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 it makes sense so you could, you could sense that welbeck's a little bit bummed about it but he's also super super clear-eyed in, in his his, his uh, belief that that is no longer um, uh, really an option for us to find our our primary uh, mode of meaning in that way, 
and, and I was wondering why that was. And I remember reading on his Wikipedia page um, that when he was, uh, so I got it right here actually. So he was born in 56, which incidentally is the same year as my dad, um, in February, which is the same month as me. Not to get all weird on you guys, but uh, born in 56 in French Island. So, um, um, okay, his website states he lived in, okay, he was born in 56. He lived in Algeria from the age of five months until 1961 with his maternal grandmother. His website states that his parents, quote, lost interest in his, his existence pretty quickly. And at the age of six, he was sent to, to France to live with his paternal grandmother, a communist, while his mother left to live a hippie lifestyle in Brazil with her newly met boyfriend. His grandmother's maiden name was Welbeck, which he took on as a pen name. Um, so yeah, so not, so basically his parents were kind of like dipped, um, immediately and his mom was living like a hippie, hippie lifestyle, you know, in the sixties, right in the sixties. And, uh, I remember reading that this novel, Elementary Particles, there's a character named, it's two characters, two, two brothers, um, um, Bruno, who was born in 1956 and Michelle, just like Michelle Welbeck born in 58, who have the same mother, but she was like at Esalen and was like living that whole hippie lifestyle. So it seems, it seems sort of autobiographical and sort of makes sense. It's his third book. So it seemed like he was kind of going, going, so that kind of, that kind of explains an element of his, his firm belief that like whatever happened post-war in the sixties and the whole liberal, um, you know, the, the after effects of the hippie movement and um, sexual liberation and all that and how it's manifested to, to today, um, you know, has like a profound effect on, obviously for him personally, like the idea of legitimacy of a traditional family. Why not? So then, um, and then we go on his Wikipedia um, after... Okay, so uh, he graduated in 1980, so when he was uh, uh, 24, married and had a son. Then he divorced, became depressed, and took up writing poetry. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, he started writing and then uh, started publishing books in the 90s and didn't really have a relationship with his son either. So. So yeah, so that's why I came back to this well back. Um, but uh, it was hard to get through this this time. Like I I don't know I don't know. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like it is it was just kind of it's whenever you're reading stuff like this that feels like wow this is out there this is. This is almost, I mean, it almost, yeah, it's obviously politically incorrect in a lot of ways, and it feels like super, super wild. You know, there's an element where you're like, you start reading it, and then you, if you start to look into the aspects of how it could be potentially um, autobiographical, um, there's an element where you're reading it, and it's not even like, there's an excitement to it. You're kind of like, whoa, this is some real shit he's working out. But then at the same time, you go into it too much, and you start to feel like, bro, am I just like, I don't know, you know, am I gonna just <laughs> become, get too, get too involved in these ideas and sort of devolve into like a kind of like reactive, frustrated, and, you know, uh, solitary mode of feeling resentful towards the culture um, or whatever you know so that's the back of, and 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 so I yeah I basically sat on the last like 50 pages for a really a really long time but then I uh, just went through and finished it up and have all my notes down so I'm gonna start talking about the book now how far are we in 20 minutes okay so that's why um, why he was relevant to me um, okay so he talks about this idea of metaphysical mutations. So, um, 
pretty much medical mutations are radical global transformations in the values to which the majority subscribe. Um, they're rare, and they're rare in the history of humanity. The rise of Christianity is an example of one. This is on page three and four. So, once a metaphysical so it's kind of like once a metaphysical mutation has arisen, it tends to move inexorably towards its logical conclusions. It sweeps away economic and political systems, aesthetic judgments, and social hierarchies. No human agency can halt its progress. Nothing except another metaphysical mutation. So, when Christianity appeared in the Roman Empire, that's an example of one. So, his whole thing is like... So, so yeah, so that's exactly that idea. Like, we live in a paradigm that has certain values. Um, and Christianity and whatnot, and then his whole thing is like post like new age 60s we're approaching a new metaphysical mutation and how that manifests in this book is the idea that he comes up with the the, the main character Michelle comes up with a kind of like a Einsteinian like new new uh, scientific breakthrough where we can like clone ourselves and uh, we no longer have the need for, need to procreate because we're asexual, we're asexual and immortal. Um, it's like this new, he always has these like wild sci-fi like fucking insane in the possibility of an island. Um, we're asexual, so it's like we don't, yeah, so, and, um, but we still, we still can get pleasure from people. We still can get pleasure. He talks about how like the the core of all the bad shit that's in the world, and and uh, I guess his his case is like so. There's Christianity, and that's that's procreation, um, um, the nuclear family, or oh, that's first is God, and then like where Christianity continues to reign and it's like romantic love and it's like that's the family structure that's that's marriage and have a kid and then that's that's like that's like the the, the thing that that's like the thing that drives people's meaning in lives because everyone you know looking at your parents and then continuing you know continuing the the cycle or whatever um but obviously there's limits to individualism and that. So then he talks about what comes after that and I guess his case is sort of like um, the self. There's sort of like a narcissism and a sense of individual. This idea of individuality is what drives the idea of individuality combined with the, with the fear of death because that's what all these things do. The idea of romantic love or God. They're our way of dealing with with the idea of our mortality. And as religion fades, science goes up and rationality goes up. With science going up, we have a heightened sense of our mortality. That's also the drive to individualism because we don't, we have less of that with God because you're gonna be good after. And with romantic love and new good family, you're gonna pass it on to your kids. But with just science and rationality, um, we have, uh, um, heightened sense of death and then a heightened sense of our in so we need to assert our individual our, our individual selves over other people so that's so he's saying and a heightened sense of individualism but he's saying um, like anger and cruelty and uh, petty competition and fighting is because of this idea of individuality combined with um um, combined with our, our awareness of death. So with his model of this new breakthrough, this new new metaphysical mutation that will arise, um, we no longer have fear of death because we're cloned. And then we also have identical DNA. So um, that doesn't mean we have no individuality. She gives the example of like fraternal twins. 
but we don't have the idea of our unique DNA that we need to pass on um, or assert over others. And then when it comes to the sex, he talks about how the difference between desire and pleasure. So desire, he says, is like the core of all suffering um, because it's wanting something and not being able to get it. Um, and he talks about how in modern uh, consumer culture, advertising, whatnot, everything in the public sphere is oriented towards um, is oriented towards inside bringing out the desire and but not being able to get it. Right? You got billboards, you got signs, you got you need this, you need that, you need this, but you can't get it. You know, or you can work to get it. But then in the private sphere, with your sex life, you have a sex life. That's when you get you can get pleasure or whatever. And he looks like, and so then there's like a wild scene where like Bruno goes to like there's like all kinds of like orgies and shit. It's very French, you know. But he there's like he he like there's like some kind of wild like orgy on this beach or something. And he talks about I, I I'll get to that, but. But the, but the point is, um, yeah, this idea of desire. Oh yeah, so that's kind of interesting. And the, the idea of individualism, which is such a widely hailed, like, good thing. But he talks about how it, it's like tied to like vanity and, and narcissism. And I, I don't know, I don't know, it's, it's a wild, it's just like a wild theory, but um, so that's where he goes with it. That's where that's where he goes with it. Um, but um, so yeah. So early on, he has this really. Oh yeah, and then he, just real quick, it's interesting because he's kind of he's obviously like kind of critical. He's like kind of making fun of like the new age, the new age stuff, like the Esalen, like hippie movement. Um, when Bruno, the older brother, goes to one of these communes and he's like kind of going along with like all the, all the different like uh, talks and little exercises they're doing. Um, but he's like, he's just like, just wants to like have sex with all whoever he can around him. Um, but so he's kind of like making fun of it. But then later on, it's interesting because. He kind of talks about how the desire for a new age, the new age movement is, um, let me see if I can just find the quotes. I was going to work through them, um, in order, but he talks about the desire for the new age movement is sort of proof that without some kind of I want to get the words right because it's not just religion. It's the um... so yeah, the most radical of his proposals that mankind must disappear and give way to a new species which was asexual and immortal, a species which had outgrown individuality, separation, and evolution. Um, here we go. Um, So yeah, interestingly enough, as basically, yeah, basically after um, Michelle, like he has this interesting relationship with this woman and like, and like he's kind of trying to come to some theory of like, this kind of way of looking at sex that's like, yeah, removed from procreation, but like, it's not quite like free, free love, but it's like giving each other pleasure. Um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about all that, but basically at the end when his, uh, his, his, uh, his, his, you know, the main woman, Annabelle, that he's kind of with, like dies, and he just like finishes his theory and then just offs himself. She off herself, and then um, one of his like pupils like takes over his writings and like turns it into this whole new movement and starts implementing all the this whole like clone program. This starts like 2029. Obviously, it's 
just it's, it's interesting as a thought experiment and if it's relevant to where we're at now but basically what's interesting about the new age stuff because like obviously he's critical about it with like his mom and whatnot that's really what got me around the end of the third part there the brothers are together and like the mom's like dying but they haven't seen her like in a whole life and he's just being like he's just like just being super like just like fuck this whore and I'm just like yeesh like this is a little much you know I can't really read this but um um so basically what's interesting is that when the new idea gets implemented they actually use what he calls the confused, bastardized, late 20th century ideology known as, quote, New Age thinking to his advantage. He kind of implements it into the idea. He was the first of his generation to see beyond the ridiculous, contradictory, and outmoded superstitions it adopted to the fact that New Age thought appealed to a very real suffering symptomatic of psychological, ontological, and social breakdown. Beyond the repellent mix of fundamentalist eco-battle, attraction to tradition, and the, quote, sacred, which they inherited from their spiritual forebears, the Esalen commune and the hippie movement, I'm sorry, um, New Agers had a genuine desire to break with the 20th century, its immorality, um, its individualism, and its liber um, libertine, a libertarian and antisocial aspects. Libertarian and antisocial aspects testified to the anguished awareness that a society cannot function without the unifying access of some kind of religion. It was, in effect, a call for a new paradigm. Um, so, yeah, and then just to. Just to go back to those ideas we were, I was talking about earlier. Um, so when he talks about, he starts speaking from the perspective of the new clones and looking back on the 21st century humans, which are us. And uh, so men consider having broken the filial chain that inked, that linked us to humanity. We live on because they're no longer reproducing. This is the we is the new clones. Men, the old, the mortal people who are gradually dying out, consider us, the clones, to be happy. It is certainly true that we have succeeded in overcoming the forces of egotism, cruelty, and anger, which they could not. We live diff very different lives. Science and art are still part of our society, but without the stimulus of personal vanity, the pursuit of truth and beauty, um, has taken on a less urgent aspect. To humans of the old species, our world seems a paradise. Um, yeah. So yeah. So um, I don't know. Is that is there anything to that? Like everything that's going on right now with all the. It's like. Everyone, it's like we want some larger unifying, everyone wants some larger unifying um, sense of inclusion in a thing. Um, but we also really want our ideas to be, or ourselves to be, yeah, our, our sense of ourself to be put forth and recognized. Um, which are counterintuitive things because just ourselves are recognized and that wouldn't encourage a group. We also don't have any groups that so were very factioned. Um, he does a really cool thing where he goes through the generations of his grandparents and uh, leading up to his 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 parents and um, like to him go you know and looking tangibly at their lives like he just does it in a paragraph it kind of reminded me of some Bologna but it's also stylistically it was cool because I think oftentimes I often get a little myopic with like how I'm thinking about writing or stories or something and this idea of like intergenerational 
or eat so on a stylistic element it was interesting because like I like I don't know, it reminded me of like 2666 from like in Bologna where there's like these passages like go past, go through, gen or, or like Marquez or something like through generations and that seems, that never seems like anything I would think to do because I think I'm like Welbeck saying, <laughs> like most of us in our generation and our time just so kind of in my own zone. But for example, like thinking about like what my grandparents were like, what their lives were tangibly like, were tangibly like. And because you know, you get these ideas that like things were better in the past, like before capitalism or something. But just think about like your like the life expectancy and 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 um, the class system, the caste systems, and and the you know, the fact that like every culture had slaves of some sort, but it wasn't, it was just you know, incorporated into like the social hierarchies, like. Um, before wherever capitalism went up, but so he, there's one paragraph that I thought was, um, but yeah, I think if you just get ever get sick and then get a medicine that will will get you better, that in itself attests to um, improvement in our uh, lives compared to past generations. So, born to illiterate parents in Central Corsica in 1882. Uh, Martin Casaldi, 1882, so that's the Michelle character who's born in 56 or 58 um, in the book. His grandfather, it's his grandfather, um, which someone like me born in the 90s and my dad was born in 56, it'd be like the equivalent of a current 20, mid-20s person's great-grandfather. So it's already back, it's four generations, that's already 1882. Or, yeah, so Martin Casaldi seemed destined for the undistinguished life of a farmer, which had been the lot of his ancestors for countless generations before. It is a way of life long since vanished and is fondly remembered only by a handful of radical environmentalists. You are at one with nature, have plenty of fresh air, and a couple of fields to plow, the number and size of which are strictly fixed by hereditary principle. Now and then you kill a boar, you fuck right and left, mostly your wife, whose role it is to give birth to children. Said children grow up and take their place in the same ecosystem. Eventually, you catch something serious and your history. <laughs> so, um, I don't know, that was kind of interesting. Um, but, um... So yeah, I think everything that we're going towards is good. Even the way I'm talking now makes it sound like the individualism, the degree of individualism we're at is, you know, it's like it's like overcorrected or something. But I don't think it has. I think it's I think this challenge that we have of having no other um, structures to rely on, be they like religious or even this idea of, oh I'll just, you know, get married and breed and then that will solve all my issues. This challenge that we're having of trying to figure out with the awareness of death and just having ourselves how to keep evolving and how to um, live meaningfully and cult be the ones to cultivate. The, you know, it's like, it's just, I think the drive to individualism is good. Um, just to say that. I mean, yeah. So, um, but, um, and he does propose something at the end, which I'll get to, but I just want to work through this. Um, and it's interesting, because Welbeck will say, will be saying some super wild shit about, like, um, kind of, like, the difference between men and women, but he'll have some passages. I think he also is just, he's like a, kind of has his persona as, like, douchey, nihilist guy. Not douchey, but just kind of skeezy now, this guy. But he, I think he also feels so much. Like, there's a passage when his grandmother, he learns that his grandmother dies. And obviously, in real life, he grew up with his grandmother. And it's just so. Um, I just want to read it. It's so fucking. You feel. There's just a, there's a sense of urgency to his writing that's like really visceral, and I really, I really like. Um, 
So this is about his grandmother. This is right at the end of part one. Part one is called The Lost Kingdom. Part two is called Strange Moments. And it's right at the end of part one. Um, her childhood, Michelle's grandmother's childhood, had been grim. Um, so it's his grandmother. So that was... Yeah, that was who I just read about his wife. Um, from the age of seven, she had labored on the farm, surrounded by semi-alcoholic brutes. Her adolescence was too short for her to save... Sorry. Her adolescence was too short for her to have any precise memories of it. After the death of her husband, she worked in a factory and brought up her four children. In midwinter, she drew water from the pump in the courtyard so they could wash. At 60, having just retired from the factory, she agreed to look after her son's only child. Oh, it's a paternal grandmother. He wanted, oh, and that's who Welbeck's is in real life. He had wanted for nothing, clean clothes, good Sunday lunches and love. All these things she had done for him. Any analysis of human behavior, however rudimentary, should take account of such phenomena. Historically, such human beings have existed. Human beings who have worked, worked hard all their lives with no motive other than love and devotion, who have literally given their lives for others out of love and devotion. Human beings who have no sense of having made any sacrifice, who cannot imagine any way of life other than their giving their lives for others out of love and devotion. Did, did I fucking re-write? There might have been a repeat there. I was typing really fast. In general, such human beings are generally women. Um, yeah. Anyway, that shit's devastating. But, um... Okay, here's a, here's a passage on, um, like, okay, my notes were birth control as logical next step towards individualism. Um, and it's, I just thought this was interesting. So on 14 December, and I was tied to the 60s and whatnot, on 14 December 1967, the government passed the Newith Act, Newworth Act, it's a name, on contraception at its first reading. Although not yet paid for by Social Security, the pill would now be freely available in pharmacies. It was this which offered a whole section of society access to the sexual revolution, which until then had been reserved for professionals, artists, and senior management, and some small businessmen. It is interesting to note that the sexual revolution was sometimes portrayed as a communal utopia, whereas in fact it was simply another stage in the historical rise of individualism. As the lovely word, quote, household suggests, the couple and the family would be the last bastion of primitive communism in liberal society. The sexual revolution was to destroy these intermediary communities the last to separate the individual from the market. The destruction continues to this day. I don't know who's speaking there. I think it was Bruno, so maybe he's being kind of salty. But, um... The last thing that separates the individual from the market was the idea of the, the household, the private household. Um, which, yeah, I mean, I think that's... Like, you know folks out here on Bumble. It's just, it's not, it's not a, it's not a good or bad, I don't necessarily think. I think, I think it's just interesting to look at. And whether that's true, whether we get to a certain degree of individualism and it will breed a kind of extreme, um, I forgot the words from earlier, but like a libertarianism and, and uh, individualism that devol almost becomes like isolation. Um, and if that's really what makes people happy, I don't know. Um, Alright, there's like a super epic part in the middle where Bruno and um, Michelle have this debate about Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. And I guess he started, he, he, his ideas largely influenced 
that. The new age ideas that they ran with in the Esalen community was kind of interesting. But let me see if there's anything relevant in here. Um, oh yeah, there's just this passage. Huxley underestimated the growth. Huxley underestimated the growth of... Uh, Okay, well, this is kind of an interesting passage. I don't know if this is, has anything to say. And this is Bruno talking, and he kind of disagrees. He kind of disagrees. Michelle kind of disagrees then because I think Michelle is not convinced that humans can survive without some type of religion or love, or he's more bummed about the death of that. Um, Everyone says Brave New World is supposed to be a totalitarian night nightmare, a vicious indictment of society, but that's hypocritical bullshit. Brave New World is our idea of heaven, genetic manipulation, sexual liberation, the war against aging, aging, the leisure society. This is precisely the world we have tried and so far failed to create. The only thing in the book that rankles a little with our idea of equal opportunities or meritocracy is the idea of dividing society into castes where each performs tasks according to their genetic makeup. But advances in automation and robotics have made that, that the whole idea pointless, that philosophy pointless. Um, So then he says, Michelle goes back and says that, like, Julian Huxley, which I guess is uh, Aldous Huxley's brother or something. Um, he makes a case that, like, society can't survive without religion. Um, or he says that any attempt at fusing science and religion. Oh, this is actually kind of relevant to where we're at right now. Um, I have no idea where I'm at. I'm just wandering in the dark in these fucking neighborhoods. But, um, any attempt at fusing science and religion, big battle now in a lot of ways, is doomed by the knowledge of physical mortality. So cruelty and egotism cannot fail to spread. Incom um, so basically saying... The conflict is between, with science, we have a heightened awareness of our mortality. And then, uh, uh, with religion, we're trying to assuage the idea of mortality. I'm not sure. Keep it moving. Huxley underestimated the growth of individuals and brought about by an increased consciousness of death. Individualism gives rise to freedom, the sense of self, the need to distinguish oneself and to be superior to others. That's what I was saying earlier. Um, Huxley forgets about individualism. He doesn't understand that sex, even stripped of its link to reproduction, still exists, not as a pleasure principle, but as a form of narcissistic differentiation. All right. Desire, unlike pleasure, is a source of suffering, pain, and hatred. The utopian solution, from Plato to Huxley by way of Fourier, is to do away with desire and the suffering it causes by satisfying it immediately. The opposite true is true of sex and advertising society we live in, where desire is marshaled and blown up out of all proportion, while satisfaction is maintained in the private sphere. For society to function, for competition to continue, people have to want more and more until desire fills their lives and finally devours them. That's what I was saying earlier. Um, this is just kind of funny. 30 years later, okay, this is page uh, 137. This is Michelle. 30 years later, he could, he could not come to any other conclusion. Women were indisputably better than men. They were gentler, more affectionate, loving, and compassionate. They were less prone to violence, selfishness, cruelty, or self-centeredness. Moreover, they were more rational, intelligent, and hardworking. What on earth were men for? Michel wondered as he watched sunlight play across the curtains. In earlier times, when bears were more common, perhaps masculinity served a particular and irreplaceable function. 
but for centuries now men clearly served no useful purpose. For the most part, they assuaged their boredom playing tennis, which was a lesser evil. But from time to time, they felt the need to change history, which basically meant inciting revolutions or wars. Here's some wild shit. In reality, 139.40, men don't give a damn about their kids. They never really love them. In fact, I'd say men aren't capable of love. The emotion is completely alien to them. The only emotions they know are desire in the form of pure animal lust and male rivalry. Damn. Children exist... Okay, this is a 140. This is just some wild shit. This is literally the core of, I'm, like, I don't know. You know what this does when you reach it like this? It's like, what if this is true? Or what if elements of this is true? To look at that, and to look at that, because that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing with what I'm talking about, of what led me, what kind of got me interested in Welbeck. It's like that, it's that Jungian idea of like, of like the shadow, you know what I mean? like. If you don't know that you're capable of evil, then you can't, like, corral it, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. But I'm just going to read this because it's just too wild. Um, children existed. Honestly, it shouldn't be too problematic because I feel like most woke people I talk to now don't give a shit about having children anyway. So this is just right up that alley. Children existed solely to inherit inherit a man's trade, his moral code, and his property. That's all gone now. I work for someone else. I rent my apartment from someone else. There's nothing for my son. This is Bruno talking, because he had a son who he didn't, he just left, just like Michelle. I work for someone else. I rent my apartment from someone else. There's nothing for my son to inherit. I have no craft to teach him. I haven't a clue what he might do when he's older. By the time he grows up, the rules I lived by will have no value. He will live in another universe. If a man accepts the fact that everything must change, then he accepts that life is reduced to nothing more than the sum of his own experience. Past and future generations mean nothing to him. That's how we live now. For a man to bring a child into the world now is meaningless. Women are different because they continue needing to have someone to love, which is not and has never been true of men. <laughs> Whoa. It's bullshit to pretend that men need to fuss over their children, play with them or cuddle them. I know people have been saying it for years, but it's bullshit. After divorce, once the family unit has broken down, a man's relationship with his current children is nonsensical. Kids are a trap that is closed. They are the enemy. You have to pay for them all your life and they outlive you. Okay, so now you can tell why I was having trouble reading this. Um, but maybe that's an example too, what I was saying earlier of like, you make a wild declarative like that, and it's like, why, it's like, it's not like he wants that to be true, or even necessarily believes that's true. When a character says something like that, then you're like, like, oh, that's, that's not what needs to happen for that not to be true, or something, I don't know. Um, I'm going to wrap this up soon. So yeah, he has, Michelle Welbeck had one idea that I really liked about him that is, I think it's popped up like at least once in every um, book that he's read. I remember specifically from the possibility of an island that popped up. And it's this idea of like, I think in the possibility of the island, in the possibility of an island is like a similar thing where they're like these new clones that just like, they... They're not immortal. They like reproduce themselves, or they decide. Yeah, they like reproduce themselves, but um, they like have like Skype. I don't want to get too much into. Um, they're kind of like these clones that live this life where they like eat eat foods out of like little pot, eat food out of little pods, and like oh yeah, they keep reproducing new versions of themselves. It's like Daniel one, Daniel two, Daniel three, and then when like your time's up, you just like a new version of yourself comes up, 
and you live in like these pods that are like separate from society and then you get out like a dog um, but then like when the dog dies just a new one pops up sort of um, but then they have like Skype sex with like different people it's like super out there but then one of the issues is like how to make mean continue to make meaning and he and it's a classic like writer thing but he comes back this idea of like life writing sort of or like or like how you create a narrative is like sort of writing writing your story and like there's like a active component of like deciding your story sort of deciding your narrative that pops up in all the stories that I obviously for obvious reasons really like um and there's a bit of that here where it goes like um uh, so um they let so they let you write Michelle said quietly this is 2.13 it's when Bruno's talking about his his process of uh, doing therapy I think um, so he's like mentioning that they let him write stuff down and Michelle said, said quietly he was not surprised um, most psychiatrists were particularly interested in their patients scribbling not that they ascribe any particular therapeutic value to them but it's something to do, and anything is better better than slashing your wrist with the razor. Okay, it takes kind of a nihilistic turn at the end. But this idea that um, like there's a value to your scribblings for yourself, like for yourself, and to create your sense of self and your 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 narrative. Um, and to let to reflect on it and like if we don't have anything else to rely on to provide us with uh, and this sounds really obvious but sometimes you get an idea in a new incarnation and, and it reminds you of a thing but if if we you know and yeah it almost feels like I'm going back to like some like I don't know like college existential ideas because Welbeck does kind of you know come out of the like French existentialist tradition I guess but um, if we don't have anything else to rely on, we don't have, you know, to, 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 um, to we, if we don't have anything to assuage our fear of our mortality, like uh, the idea that we'll pass on our DNA to our kids and we are partaking in some sacred ritual by being in a monogamous procreating partnership, or if we don't have, uh, you know, God, um, and we have this intense individualism that when faced with the reality of its impending end can result in a kind of panicky, angry cruelty that's only assuaged by preening and vanity and narcissism. Not that I'm saying everyone's like that, but that's what he's saying. Then some type of active way of Okay, what I'm not trying to say, everyone writes stuff down, it'll be... But I, but I just think, like you said, in the new society, the way they partake in art is stripped of this idea, what was it, beauty and truth. The idea of art is stripped the idea of beauty and truth, which is trying to put forth your individuality and be, you know, be important. And, and that's always an amazing realization when you realize you're not important, nothing you're doing is important. It's always a great reminder. I think there, there's an earthquake today in fucking Anchorage, you know? And uh, it's just like, let's go, let's, let's, let's get that flow going, you know? So Welbeck has a, he has a, and that's important. And this is gonna bring me to my end. I'm just gonna, because I wanted to finish on this idea. Um, um, oh yeah, then there's this one passage and in this idea, he's kind of rolling with this idea of the kind of like Einsteinian type character of, you know, these, these, these scientists who are doing these tests on these atoms and coming up with new theories of cloning and whatnot. And, um, um, so yeah, the breakthrough that they, so I'll do that one first. So these men who are working in this way remain completely unknown to the rest of the world. 
They have no apparent power, no money, no honors. Nobody can understand the pleasure they get from their work. In fact, they are, but in fact, they are the most powerful men in the world for one simple reason. They hold the keys to rational certainty. Um, which is kind of just an interesting idea. I mean, it doesn't have to be just men, I guess, necessarily, but... Because he's often talking about the idea, he's looking at the idea of celebrity. And I think celebrity is his idea of one way to evade the fact of immortality, this idea of like fame. And that's also putting your individuality like forth. Um, but this idea, he, he has the idea of kind of just like grinding on your own, but you have, but rationality is still an important thing. Rationality is maybe critiqued, but it's a way of um, being able to articulate yourself in, in new and more clarifying ways to communicate. I, I don't know, I think, I think that's something that's good. Rationality. Um, or, yeah, I don't know, or maybe that's what, that's what Welbeck said. Um, but, um, take some shots at feminism. I don't need to get into all that. Um, okay, this is the last quote. I'm going to end it on this. So my notes for this, this is page 249, right around the end. Um, so my notes are human testimonies and experiences linked by reason and emotion to fill the hole left by God. Okay, so the quote is, man no longer needed God, nor even the idea of an underlying reality. Um, there are human perceptions, said Walcott. I don't remember Walcott, someone who's talking at this point. Human testimonies, there are human perceptions, human testimonies, human experiences. Human perceptions, human testimonies, and human experiences. Reason links them, links them together and emotion brings them alive. All of this happens without any metaphysical intervention. And then my quotes were, the importance of sharing ideas via art and other mediums. Right? So, when you have God or the idea of like procreation, we're relying on this, other, this narrative that's been there. And we're all, we're all, um, we're all, we're all relying on this, 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 you know, the, this, this one story, this one narrative. But he's saying man no longer needed God. So we all have different perceptions. We all have unique individual perceptions. Then we, but we have to have testimonies, you know, articulating them in some way, of, you know, and, they are, and, our, and our experiences. And what links them together, what connects them, is both reason, that's what links them, that's why I was saying with rationality, it's, you know, it's like the rules of thinking and articulation. And it's really getting to a language that anybody can access regardless of their, um, yeah, it's, 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 that's, that's the essence of, I think, the Western push towards individualism. It's like the enlighten, enlightenment. It's, and that's what distinguishes us from some other cultures in, in some ways. Perhaps, perhaps, I'm not sure. I, um, but, but it's definitely distinctive of what makes the advancements that have been positive in the West and in America, you know, and yeah, that have been positive, regardless of the means, the military means that were taken to get there, because we can't change those. What was positive in those developments that get us here now with our values of individualism and individuals' rights to take accountability for their body and what they do with it and how they identify themselves and how they choose to be as individual and as true to their self now and how we give everybody the right to do that without imposing on them. That's based in rationality and reason. 
but then it's also emotion is what brings them alive. I don't know. I, I fuck with that, bro. I fuck with that. Um, so, and I think I think that's the that's the cusp. That's the cusp of where we're going. Is this scratching the surface of 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 technology and the ways that we can communicate between each other in ways that become less hierarchical, more lateral, more diverse, and more very more and trying out different ways of using different mediums that will naturally lead towards like the the logical conclusion or the logical direction of that metaphysical mutation to use Welbeck's word which is the the values and rules we're living by would be to get to certain modes that most um, lend themselves to to uh, accessibility to the widest range of people. So, am I plugging, you know, different kinds of podcasts and whatever? The YouTube, visual, audio, visual sharing. Um, you know, I think there's just there's so many ways it can go, and I think that's. I think that's where that's where you can look at this positively. And I think while a lot of Welbeck stuff is super out there and jarring, it does kind of clean the slate. It does kind of clean the slate of what you think you're sure about, um, or what you think, and then it kind of makes you look at uh, open to all the different possibilities. Anyway, that's my hour-long lecture rant, sharing thoughts. Uh, anyone want to read this book and be like, and kind of come up with some counterpoints? Um, email me. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Sean.thor.com on Gmail. And uh, onestoryhouse.com. It's all the links there, social media. Let's talk about it. But yeah. Um, cool. That concludes this. Um, I have no excuses to put out an episode every month because I can just do this. Uh, whenever I feel like it. And now I'm back on the main road, so uh, I'm going to call it. Until next time.